0: Listening to 100 words or less with Ray Harkins. Hello, podcast humans. Hopefully you're doing better than I am because I'm sick. My child, my 10-year-old child, got me sick with a cold, and that sucks, but you know, that's it is what it is. Today we are chatting with a great human being. His name is Jeff Garlock. He played bass in Orchid, in Panthers. He is an all-around good human. He has hosted also a wide variety of podcasts, which uh, you can all find on all of your favorite podcast stores. But most specifically, he does a podcast right now called Docs Till Death and also the Canon Canon, as well as a comedy podcast, because that's the world that he exists in now, as well as the punk hardcore world called What's That From? So you can find all that. But yes, he is an interesting person. I've actually we've never met before prior to this uh, this podcast, but I was aware he did a podcast a while back. I can't remember exactly when it wrapped up, but uh, it was like worst tour stories ever, and basically it was just, it was very engaging and entertaining and fun, and uh, he's existed in the The uh, UCB World, Upright Citizens Brigade, there you go, that's how cloudy my head is. The UCB World for quite some time, and um, yeah, he's just a prolific dude, and he has always been on my radar, so we connected, and we podcasted just like two responsible humans do. But, uh, I mean, Orchid, let's talk about Orchid, right? Just looms very large in my musical early years of understanding all of the different iterations of... Screamo and what bands can do. And I just, I loved seeing Orchid for, I mean, probably a good two to three years. I would see them at least once a year and just always enjoyed them. So, yeah, we trade off a bunch of stories in regards to that. But let's talk about some business pleasantries. You can always email the show, 100 podcast at gmail.com. That, that would uh, help facilitate communication between us. Uh, I always love to hear guest ideas and all that stuff. So, Please do that if you so desire. And also follow along with this podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can follow. That is not the word that you use anymore in regards to subscription. We've transitioned into follow. Because subscription sometimes makes people a little bit scared. Where they're like, wait, am I paying money for this? No, this is free. And uh, tell your friends about the show. Because that's the only way this thing reaches the people that it needs to. So please do that. Because we've had a a lot of interesting guests as, uh, as of late whew, that shows how tired I am right now. So uh, yeah, without any further ado, because that's what all podcasters say as they're about to introduce their guest. But uh, yeah, Jeff was a great conversation. If you have not listened to Orchid or Panthers, do yourself a favor and check out all of his podcasts because they are fun and engaging. So here's Jeff, and I will talk to you at the end of the episode. put in the you know email when we connected of like you you probably totally booked orchid at one point which i i did not i did not book right. orchid but i 100% saw you guys every time you came through southern california but the most notable time that i remember was when you guys played at the pch club with uh, i think was gasp and volume 11
1: which is dumb that i even remember that but oh right um, and would it was at that the PCA club like I me, said in Wilmington. No. That's always the hard part. It's right. like some, because the because like so many tours, I just merge everything and certain ones stand out. And I'm like, definitely volume eleven, maybe not gasp. because uh, <laughs> right. I think that would have been Brad, and I think honestly, not to call you out, I think you might Please. be merging. Uh, Volume 11 and Us, although that would have been with Panthers. No, it's all merch. I have no idea. I was going to say they did a show with Isis, Kaven, Gasp, and Orchid, and it was before me, Um, and might have been at PCH, but John- again- you know life, what life is revisionist i mean all of this that you'll get from me is revisionist as well it's my version of it and we're all wrong so it's uh, very no respect and i i think you are very
0: much correct because i definitely remember uh you know isis sticking out but regardless mm-hmm. the the i definitely witnessed the performance of orchid as it were Her. um you know <laughs> the the early aughts and something that i was interested just because you are you know as much of a nerd about this stuff as i am Mm -hmm. i the you know ebullition scene loomed large within southern california and frankly all of california and i know nationwide but i'm sure in retrospect it kind of hit differently on the east coast than maybe it resonated here on the west coast what was your kind of perception of ebullition besides the fact like oh this is a cool label that's gonna
1: pay us you know four dollars to record this stuff <laughs> right I think uh well I think partly because you know I joined uh halfway through it was a little bit of I did have a consideration of ebullition but like you just kind of get thrown into like yeah we're on ebullition I go okay that's cool um and but I would say like growing up in Connecticut and when I first knew about ebullition, and because of what I was into at the time, I was like, "Oh, that's the other kids, uh, right?" Uh, and 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 it was almost like a completely different scene in Connecticut to me. It was like the the uh, literally the other side of Connecticut in a different club is where, in retrospect, I'm like, "Oh, those bands all played there." Except for every once in a while being like, oh, Frail played and I missed Frail. Um, Because in my mind, it's all a Venn diagram overlap of like, okay, if it was on Bloodlink, it might as well been on Ebullition at certain points. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, when I, uh, you know, I I think it it didn't, it didn't loom, I, I bet you it just didn't loom as big on the East Coast, but it still was like... Ebullition was an odd label where, to me at the least, I like obviously love Ebullition, but I would be like, it's a label that I want to be on. And how many bands do I actually like that are on Ebullition? Um, Mm, uh, Just because it wasn't my thing. I was like moshier. Like I was from Connecticut, you know, I was a fair amount of mosh. uh, And there's not a lot of mosh going on in Ebullition. Yes, um,
0: more, more chaos,
1: less mosh. Exactly. More chaos, less mosh. And 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 it took me a little while to shift over to the chaos. Um, so yeah, I would say ultimately, I'm sure for other kids it was a bigger thing, but like, yeah, for a while it just it, it didn't loom as big. It was just like a label I knew of, and then slowly as I think my politics kind of morphed and my musical tastes like grew in hardcore that's when also though i would say like i was like oh i, I kind of gravitate towards that world i get it uh i think i just get it more mm-hmm. um being a you know raised on hate breeds uh you're, you're just not going to ebullition <laughs> no and it, it's so funny because
0: i mean you and i and people of a certain age understand the delineations between that and there were you know there were people like like us and many of our friends that you know flitted between both scenes because mm-hmm. that was quote unquote allowed but there was a very strong contingent you're either <laughs> you're there this or you're that and yeah you, never the two shall meet
1: and uh i talk about it a lot lately as i like kind of like look back because i try really hard to not look back with nostalgia but with just like try to look at with like clearer eyes like it'd be like well i'm an older man now who's gone through many years of therapy uh uh how you know how exactly was the how were these worlds kind of existing and uh yeah it, it th- there was just also weirdness at that time uh you know it's almost like too many think pieces have been written at this point about like all oh, the scenes have merged like these kids today don't care about scenes but they did care about scenes a lot like when yep. we were it went exactly at our age. And I think even more so than now, it was a lot like high school, where like I think maybe like you're like two years younger than I am, and that could be a lifetime at yes. that time. Like it would just be like, Oh, you're into all of those bands because you started listening to hardcore in ninety-five. Well, I started in ninety-six, so I hate those bands. It's true. <laughs> Combined with good. regionality, which doesn't exist as much anymore. I I no, you hit the nail on the head with the
0: regionality where it was there was so much that was attached to specific scenes sprouting up. Like you know, we could talk about the Louisville scene and like you and I exactly know what mm-hmm. the, a band would sound like from that perspective.
1: Not in a it's, bad way, just it's a shorthand, you know, yes. exactly. You're like, all right, that's a San Diego band. All right. That's a Louisville band. Yeah. All right. That's a Florida band. All right. That's a Connecticut band, but that's a New York hardcore band. But then this is a Boston band. Um, oh, that's an eerie Pennsylvania band. <laughs> like, yeah, totally. Deep cut. Like, why? Yeah. Why do we know that there are a scene there? But uh you know when you kind of uh, it, it it isn't just like of the time i think it's like when you kind of care about this stuff you get more and more into the subgenre over and over and over and the subgenres can kind of eat itself into kind of normos you're like what are you talking about it's just punk yep. uh but it's like no there's going to be a very big difference when you go state to state there's going to be a very big difference of uh western mass versus eastern mass there's going to be a very big difference of western connecticut versus eastern connecticut in a odd way, uh, that doesn't, uh, I think, come up as much anymore. But it definitely was a time of that delineation.
0: Yeah, no, you're you're very right. And so,
1: you as a person, I know, were you actually born and raised in Connecticut, or did you come up somewhere else? No, born and raised in Connecticut. Uh, same same town, my whole life. Uh, uh, both me and Jay uh, from Orchid and Panthers uh, both grew up in Cheshire, Connecticut. Uh, Jay started somewhere, I'm blanking, I think New Hampshire. Uh, But I was born and raised uh, in Connecticut. I lived in the same house in Cheshire, Connecticut, uh, whole life um, until I graduated. But then, you know, was an East Coast kid. uh, After that went to Boston, and then slowly to New York and Brooklyn, stayed in Greenpoint, and then eventually now in Pasadena. Right, right. And you're, do you have brothers and sisters? Uh, I have one brother uh, who's eight years older than me. Oh, uh, yeah. So he yeah. was, like, very advanced. He was <laughs> very advanced, yes. And we were, like, I I, I love my brother, but we we're also very different. Um, And also, you know, again, the therapy, you start to realize that it's like, oh, we kind of even had different families in that he had an eight-year difference. So the, what my parents were when he was a child was completely different than when I was a child. Um, And combined with, you know, yeah, my brother was, uh, I love my brother, and he was like a, you know, uh, football star, lacrosse star, uh, cool kid. uh, and Just like you. Yeah, and then there was me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) The opposite
0: right right and i i find it like you were talking about with the you know the connection of of finding you know punk and hardcore and then gravitating towards the fact that there was so much happening within Connecticut as far as the you know mosh centric hate breed all of that stuff and mm-hmm. the tune in and yeah it, you know because and this is me projecting but i'm I hope that i'm somewhat accurate like you you're not a tough guy that's not like your vibe <laughs> yeah, no, and so not at all. but you were trying to i guess in a in a way not like embody that but you identified with elements of that tough guyness besides like you know trying to like beat people up or whatever
1: yeah i guess more that uh you know i i i always have gravitated towards uh I've always gravitated towards music that in the great, I think again, could be revisionist, but I've always gravitated towards music that doesn't, um, I I love the music and not necessarily the people sometimes surrounding it. Uh, so like I love metal a lot and of course, like love metal, but it's, you know, I, am I'm, 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 I feel I always kind of felt semi out of place at like a death metal fest, but then also felt out of place when I was super into industrial, as in junior high. And then, you know, I wasn't wearing a lot of uh, leather dusters uh, and trying to get to S and M clubs. Uh, And same with like, I like mosh, but I also, I mainly, I like riffs a lot. Like I just like big riffs. I think I grew like Connecticut. To me, you grow up on classic rock. Uh, uh, We have a lot of classic rock in Connecticut. Uh, It's like 99 rock WPLR. And, um, and so I, I, I kind of like, you know, gravitated towards not just even in heavy music and grindcore, et cetera, not just like that it's heavy or slow for the sake of that, that it has big riffs. And Hate Breeds, one, you don't escape them in Connecticut, but they are the master of the fucking riff. Yes, <laughs> like, it's true. Jamie always knew what he was doing. Uh, the moment when you hear, uh, if you've heard it after Hate Breed and you heard Entombed's Crawl EP and you're like, wait a second. That riff is a hate breed riff. Like there is almost no for note (laughs) a hate breed song, but he knew where to pick from the best and he knew how to kind of deliver that. Um, And so, yeah, I I think it, it's always been that's like, well, uh, you know, it was always, it still kind of is a problem with like metal where it'd be like, well, not necessarily politically or ethics. Am I kind of lining up, but musically it it speaks to me. Um, Yeah. In the grand scheme.
0: The, the yeah the the riff is uh, like you said you're you're following that more than anything else
1: yeah so riff so it's like why even when i you know uh, first really got into hardcore it was like oh i'm gravitating towards burn and inside out uh uh and you know starting it all with quicksand cuz it's like these are these are riffs like they have mm-hmm. they have licks <laughs> like and right. uh, uh after all these years i still kind of stand behind like there's that palaka song where that like ends with them yelling like and i hate rock and roll and it's like i still kind of hate the concept of rock and roll but i'd rather listen to thin Lizzy than most things because i got riffs
0: <laughs> totally it's like yeah i understand your conceit but uh, i don't
1: agree i don't agree with the musicality of it it's just right. sick. Yeah. yes it's just sick um yeah. <laughs> uh, and connecticut had a lot of that so it was it was good um but we also right. like had the same exact bands every single weekend. I was reminded of that recently, like I saw a photo of like a flyer of like a fest my like high school band played, and I was like, this fest is legitimately just the same show that has happened every weekend with like two extra bands um, <laughs> i did i I do love that that fact also
0: there was no concept of bands overplaying like oh God, you, no. no, you just played. Like, sometimes you, like, to your point, you know, it's like, if you got offered seven shows at the tune-in in in a month, you'd be like, yeah, I would play every single one. No
1: questions. Never thinking. And, and, I mean, also, like, look, hardcore is the best. And it's also uh, a a music style that a lot of it, both lyrically and uh, uh, kind of the ideas behind it, were set up originally by, like, 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds who still have their brains being formed. So... That is why when my first hardcore band played our first show, of course, we were like, yeah, we're going to play every song we know. Like, it's not crazy to be our first show. And we're trying to play for 45 minutes. Like, And then immediately being like, what are we doing? No one wants right. to watch that. Uh, and then we'd agree to literally every show, because also that's what you're doing at the time. Like, I wasn't partying. Uh, right. I wanted to play shows. That's all I cared about
0: right yeah and every i i do like that the the innocence of children in regards to oh yeah like we should at least do three to four covers in a set like just because
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's like why not of course you would do that of course you would luckily we were smart we stuck to just one cover that we would play till we beat the dead horse out of it (laughs) it inside out burning fight over and over Yeah, yeah, classic. Yeah, you you want to play the cover to obviously get the kids moshing, circle pitting, whatever. Yeah, of course. Yeah, prime the plug. If you can't get them to mosh to the rest of your own original songs, (laughs) like bring out Inside Out, then all of a sudden you're like, oh wait, it was us. It wasn't that. Right. Yeah, but then
0: it, clearly the photos that are captured on your 7-inch will not depict that it's actually
1: a cover song you're playing. <laughs> no, god no. no. Those are those are our chain of strength photos. Uh, <laughs> yes, we all we're all liars in hardcore. <laughs> Absolutely. This is taken at the practice space. We got this. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so
0: as you I mean, how did you I guess discover the subculture? Was it one of those things where it just kind of you know seeped into your consciousness via you know friends
1: like 120 minutes like what was your kind of
0: inflection point
1: well i think you know like and luckily for us like in the grand scheme when we kind of really discovered it like the kind of punks in cheshire the hardcore kids that's also a delineation i love to say is that like there was a period where everyone was like, I'm not a hardcore kid. I'm a punk. And I'm like, no, I was never a punk. I'm a hardcore kid. Um, that's a very strong statement. Uh, uh, luckily, we are right by New Haven. So as you said, we had the tune in. Uh, but also, you know, Cheshire, even though I didn't know him, it's like down the line, I was like, oh, Legs McNeil's from Cheshire. <laughs> like he invented the term punk, like, you know, to be used in terms of music. And he wrote, please kill me. Uh, So, uh, you know, we we kind of uh, we we had that there, I think, like kind of existing in Cheshire. But, you know, there was like one random dude, maybe a year or two older than us, who had like a shelter long sleeve. Um, And, you know, I'd be shocked uh, that I'm seeing this, whatever this shirt is. And then there's like one woman with a Murphy's Law shirt. Um, But I think like, you know, my. My, 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 I never, I, even though we had classic rock, my main introduction to music was Weird Al, um, just straight up. Uh, right. and, uh, I, it, you know, it was the first, it was like emerging of my two loves was comedy and music. And then pretty quickly after that, and when I realized there was more than just even worse, uh, I found Primus and that was my first real love. Um, and, uh, like Primus was like a weird subculture. Like it was what I was looking for. Uh, and it was like, all, everything started kind of, uh, snowballing at that point. It would be like, oh, I got Primus and then there's the BMG club and oh, I'm going to start ordering shit from that. Uh, and be like, oh, who are the Melvins? Who's Jesus lizard? Uh, I was very, like I said, started to get very into industrial um, uh, and, but Primus was like, you know, there's like a hidden language like there is with you saying, oh, they're a Louisville band and I know what you're talking about. Like early on when you're like, oh, do you say Primus sucks? That means they're good. Uh, and then very quickly, you know, from industrial, it would be like, oh, who are all these other bands Al Jorgensen has done? What is Palehead? That's one of his bands. Who is Ian McKay? Oh, wait, Ian McKay is in Minor Threat. I've heard of them. They're on the skate video that I see. And then it kind of all snowballed from there, like, you know, skate videos. And then uh, there, and I would say, though, the biggest changeover to truly getting into punk and hardcore, but mostly hardcore, because like I would go to random, like, you know, see the pissed uh, in Connecticut. Uh, mm-hmm. But seeing uh, Quicksand on Headbangers Ball was to me was that was the game changer. Um, uh, I had seen the Rollins band video on Headbangers Ball, and I was like, who the hell is this short-haired guy screaming at me? Uh, At first, I merged Henry Rollins with uh, Phil Anselmo and Pantera, uh, because they both had shaved heads, basically. Um, But then I would be like, oh, Rollins was in this band, Black Flag. What do they sound like? Oh, Minor Threat. We went the other way, and I was like, who's Fugazi? I guess I should get a Fugazi record. But Quicksand was like, the Phaser and the Dine Alone video, I was like, what is this? This is different. And then, I, f- you know, my aunt was a hair metal woman. Like, she loved Poison, and she, like, gave me the Black Album because it was too heavy for her. Uh, But she would rip out articles from old, like, RIP magazine, and, like – uh, and she gave me one on Quicksand, and it listed off every single band they were in. And that's oh, it. Yeah. That's great. Once that's you all you need. That. Yeah. that was literally, like – that and then finding out that Rage Against the Machine, I was like, oh, I should get Lockup because Tom Morello was in this funk metal band. But then I was like, what's Inside Out? Uh, and that really started something. Um, but yeah, Quicksand, this one article, all of a sudden, Burn Bold Beyond, Absolution, Gorilla Biscuits, Youth of Today. So then it's Pandora's like, okay. Pandora's Box. Yeah. Pandora's right. <laughs> Box. It literally was like, that's it. Because that's what I would do with my time before I got in the scene was like, Especially when I became friends with Jay in junior high, like we would watch Saturday Night Live and Headbangers Ball and go back and forth on Saturday nights. But once you start getting those tapes, then it's just like, okay, I'm a hardcore kid. Like, that's what I'm doing. Um, uh, And the bummer was at the time, I mean, it's great for resale now because people love tapes for some reason, but... I would be like, I'm going to try it out by just buying the tape because it was cheaper. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait, Burn only has one record. Oops. I guess I will just have it on tape now. Um, yep. I wish I had it on vinyl. But uh, yeah, to me, like really, that was the beginning. And then it literally just kind of went from there. I had a a Christmas right on that year, too, that like I remember getting Fugazi in on the Killtaker, Quicksand Slip, and Black Flag Damaged. And that's it. It's all... It's all hell after that of just being a punk kid, basically.
0: Right, right. I, I do really like that the the connective tissue that you start to put together because you're, it, it's like you're, you know, this just really nerdy. And I mean, Encyclopedia Brown's kind of a dick, anyways, but like, mm-hmm. just, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just that notion of like, oh, I'm going to peel away these layers and like I'm discovering things that no one else is discovering. Right. <laughs> and like, I, yeah, it's like you're this, uh, detective that has that that whiteboard you know it's like putting yeah. all those yeah, i was connecting
1: the red lines together uh exactly. and i still kind of i do that in everything still but like you know once you start that then all of a sudden you start to realize like wait these bands didn't just exist in the past like there are bands that they then became quicksand but then also wait a second there are bands in connecticut oh there's a hardcore scene like there are other bands yeah uh, and then also, then pretty quickly it became all right. I guess we're starting a band, um, and then all of a sudden you're in the Connecticut hardcore scene, and uh, you know, uh, then that's the rest of your life, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh no, it's very,
0: and I, I think too there. <clears throat> I mean, even though you were not an only child, I definitely think there is that you know obsession where if you are discovering all this stuff on your own it's not like you're going to your mom or dad or you know your older brother and being like oh how how does this sound like where does this band sit you're just kind of you know figuring it out on your own or using your friends as a resource as well no
1: and like in retrospect like uh, the the later rediscover of the love of bands like scorpions (laughs) and uh thin lizzy uh and then also like you know, deep cut sketch comedy and like movies came from being like, Oh, that's what my kind of family introduced. And my dad was always had like kind of good taste in music I felt at the time. But yeah, punk was, and hardcore was like kind of all on my own. And then once we kind of found the friend group, it was like all within us. Um, uh, and it, it, it did feel like, Oh, I found this thing that means something uh, after, you know, already having a lifetime of like, I don't know if I really like the world. Uh, I need something to go along with this combined with when you discover that there's a concept called straight edge and you're like, wait a second. I always hated drinking. There's a name to it. Oh, I <laughs> oh, now this is don't me. Yeah. Now I don't feel like a jackass for not going to the parties and not kind of liking the jocks. Um, uh, And so, yeah, like it did feel like that. And then vegetarianism and all the kind of ethics that also get attached and you start to build who your personality is uh, uh, based around that to some extent, because you said it, at least for me, it was like, oh, this existed. Great. But now I have a name to call it, Uh, you know.
0: And, yeah. it's atta- and it's attached to something that is edgy, cool, like, you know, yeah. a- outside. Of, I mean, to us, not to most normal people, be like, what the hell is this? Why are a bunch of sweaty people in a room or whatever? But um, at least right, there's something but at, that, but at that
1: point, it was, uh, you know, I was, as we all were. I mean, when it, that's part of, like, looking back, like, is realizing how much uh, – to me, like mental illness is a part of hardcore and punk. And just like, you know, not many of us are going to hardcore and punk because we were happy um, with the world and ourselves. Uh, but I think I was so unhappy that like even looking back that like I would be like, yeah, this is the thing that is me. And like it's and now I'm going to use it against people like you know, <laughs> I'm going to be like, fuck you. And I think I definitely had, you know, people at my high school who were like scared that I had claimed straight edge. Uh, cause I would used to hang out with like the, you know, like the hippies in the theater program. Um, and they didn't know what the fuck it was. Uh, and I, again, as you said, I don't come across as like a tough guy. So it was like, I swear I'm just Jeff. <laughs> like, I'm still cool. I'm still like, you know, I'm not going to beat you up about it. Uh, right. I, I don't just like aggressive music. Yeah. I exactly. just like aggressive music. And when I scream, I'll sound like Paul Bearer for some reason, even though I'm a 16 year old, <laughs> I'll sound like I'm in sheer terror.
0: Right, right. That's just, that is your natural voice. That that's It really was. was.
1: When I discovered it, I was like, oh boy, there it is. <laughs> that's a low <laughs> one. Because that's partly how I also like got into it. It's like part of my like origin story is like my high school band was started because my voice was changing because of puberty, like still. And I could replicate Siv's voice on the self-titled tape. So on the Hold Your Ground, when his voice is cracking, (laughs) I thought it was very funny to walk through my high school halls and just scream that. And then my skinhead friend, uh, my Colombian skinhead friend, Rob, uh, was like, oh, we should start a hardcore band. Uh, And I was like, yeah, sure. He's like, you can scream in it. And then my, my, you know, what became my best friend, Eric, who is a total metalhead dirtbag, he was like, I want to join the band. And then Rob never showed up to the first practice, and then it was just like, all right, I guess we're in a band. And then there it went, <laughs> like, uh, right. What was what was the, it what was the name of that band? Uh, Switch Stance. Um, oh, that, okay, I, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 a solid name. It wasn't bad. I mean, we put out like one demo. we were on like some tape comps, and uh, it's like it, it's like Switch Stance begat All I Ask, which had Jay in it from Market as well, and then that begat orchid in a weird connected way but like yeah we were just like once we started it was like all right that's what we're gonna do like you know lunch break at high school well my my buddy eric will try to call fernando pinto at the tune-in and try to get us on a show like you know (laughs) while they're like while all the kind of people we i didn't like were trying to like book their party for the weekend we're calling about the mad ball show (laughs) like and seeing if we can get on it Um, totally and 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 like I said, every show ended up slowly being where it was like, you know, we were right at the time when it was like every show in Connecticut was always fast break, tenfold, follow through, uh, ground zero. And then like in between, there would be like sometimes hate breed, sometimes dissolve, sometimes overcast. Um, but it was just like cycling the same show over and over. Again. Oh, of, co- of course, especially when you're
0: pulling in that. Uh, I mean, I remember the first time I I toured on the East Coast of understanding, like, oh, wait, you don't need to drive eight hours, like eight hours. Yeah. And it's just like you're pulling from so many people, even though there's such disparate scenes. And it is like.
1: It's unbelievable how you can do that in the Northeast versus the West Coast. Yeah. Uh, You know, but then you also end up playing with 25 to Life a bunch. (laughs) Right. And then,
0: you, yeah, you've got uh, Rick's distro that is at every show, including Jamie's as well. I mean, Jamie had a great distro.
1: Well, that was the the Connecticut was all the tune-in to me because there was also, like I said, there was another club called Studio 158 that I never went to. And to me, that's where, like, the ebullition bands went. If I look at their lineups now, I wish I had seen a bunch of them um like cable would play there more so in my mind um but yeah like if it wasn't if it wasn't fernando it was jamie booking every show um in connecticut at the time so that would be a thing like i remember my my our guitarist would get like flyers from jamie when they were touring europe and being like can you distro these for me um but so good And it, it, I, I always found, I mean, I
0: I think I played one show at the tune in that Jamie, I don't think he actually booked, but he showed up. But it, it just felt so bizarre. I mean, by that time they were signed to Victory. And it was just so right. weird to be like, what is Jamie still doing here? It's just like, well, that dude is always there.
1: It's like, why would he that's, not be there? <laughs> that's the oldness for me where like I still think of Satisfaction as the Death of Desire as the new Hapri record. <laughs> like, yeah, of course. Right. Right. Because right. I'm just came up Yeah, because I just remember like I would listen to like I remember when Under the Knife came out and Jamie brought it to the skate shop I would hang out at uh, on tape. And it had like a joke making fun of one of the choruses in the lyrics and like, uh, uh, but like, you know, I bought the 93 demo from Rick to Life, uh, as you said, in his tape distro, where he also bootlegged my own band Switch Dance, like as he is wont to do uh, in the time. It It definitely was on a Radio Shack tape. And it definitely had a purple cover. And I was like, I did not do that. Brick. juice. Th- yeah. You're like, wait a minute. That doesn't seem <laughs> legitimate.
0: Yes. <laughs> That's brick to life. That is. That is. There's an important thing that you can do to support bands in general. Obviously, you go to shows. You know, you can uh, buy their records. But a very direct way is merchandise. And the best place to buy merchandise online is rockabilly.com. Use the code one hundred words or less that gets you ten percent off your order, and this is a very virtuous circle that exists. You buy merch, you look cooler. This podcast gets credit. Rockabilia gets business. Everybody wins. But joking aside, it is all officially licensed stuff that is really important in the world of bootlegs that exists currently and you know i i am guilty of buying bootlegs i understand but at the same time i also buy a lot of merch from rockabilia so please go to rockabilia.com have fun start to prep your christmas list find stuff for your friends your family and you can do it all at one spot at rockabilia.com using the promo code 100 words or less that's the number 100 and it gets you 10% off your order thank you for your continued support rockabilia did you care about um I mean, once music started to consume you, was it one of those things? I mean, I know that comedy was running in parallel to you getting into music as far as your obsession over that as well. Mm -hmm. Did you like, was there room for school or was that basically like, whatever? I don't care.
1: No, there was. I mean, I would fit it all in kind of like how I guess I still do with life. I mean, I, I, even though like I didn't love the jocks, I played sports up until my junior year. Um, because my dad was also like Cheshire's, one of their high school football coaches, uh, which uh, I was never great at football and Cheshire was very good at football. So it was definitely like a little bit of a conflict. Um, and then eventually I was uh, like, I kind of did it just to not piss him off. It always felt like, and then I always was like pretty good in school and, you know, and then it, it would suffer a little bit when band started, but I also, uh, did acting at that time. Um, so it kind of helped my academics that especially the senior year of high school, I, I, I had my band. I was doing the Connecticut hardcore scene and I, uh, went to a acting school in New Haven. Um, like I would leave my high school before lunch period, which I hated, be able to drive to New Haven and I did acting for the rest of the day. Um, So I I think it it helped me in general kind of still focus on school. Uh, I didn't just give it all up. I I had too much fear to let any of my grades go that, that far down. (laughs)
0: Right. There was, yeah. The, The sense of purpose was instilled in you. Like, wait a minute. I can't just completely abandon this whole like real life thing
1: yeah, no, I'm still going to college and I'm not going to make my family angry. And like, you know, fear and shame drives me uh, and always has. Uh, so, um, Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and so as you
0: started to, you know, really dive into the scene and, you know, play shows and get those weekend warrior gigs and stuff like that, I- I'm going to guess that, um, i mean i don't even know actually how like you said you joined orchid kind of you know i guess halfway through their life um yeah was it was it one of those things that you were watching what orchid was doing and being like oh that's cool that like my friends are doing this you know i wish i could be you know touring on a more national level or were you just obviously you know kind of keep into
1: what you were doing back at home uh no, I thought it was very cool and I was very jealous. Um got uh it. <laughs> yeah. Uh well because that was, you know, Orchid was like in the grand scheme Orchid was the college band for all of us. Um but you know, Jay went to Hamp like I I knew Jay since junior high and then he went to Hampshire um and then Orchid started after he kind of got there and and I I I was always kind of you know, I was proud of what we did in switch dance and I was proud of what we were doing with all I ask, uh, with Jay on guitar, me just screaming and hitting myself in the head and throwing our guitars around. Like we are coalesce. Um, but when orchid started, I was like, Oh, orchids good. <laughs> like I was like, we were, they, they've got it. Like Will has got the goods. Um, and, uh, And so, yeah, like, I think, like, I was still, like, I was in Boston, I was at college, you know, doing my own thing, um, and kind of making all my new friends there, and then, you know, we, even in there, like, we had a short-lived band that was me on bass and guitar, or bass and vocals, And then Jay was playing drums uh, and it was just like this, and my buddy Eric on guitar and it was like called Suffragette and we only played three shows, but it still was like, somehow we played with like death threat Uh, like the, you know, the tragedy, his hero's gone related death threat and like the locust. Um, And then I started another band in college, but like I was, yeah, I was always, uh, I was, I was envious, Um, uh, but I knew that they were there and they were doing their thing. Uh, and then, you know, I, I didn't, uh, Brad was having some problems uh, and it had to take, you know, a leave from school. Uh, because again, Orca was a college band. And I remember I, I was home visiting uh, Connecticut and Jay was home too. And again, could be revisionist history. I think we were sitting in his hot tub at his parents' house. Like they just had like this old funky hot tub that we'd like to sit in and just talk about the world forever. And he was just like, yeah, he's like, Brad has to leave. Do you want to join Orchid? And I was like, OK. <laughs> like yeah, That makes sense. Sure. Right. Yeah, it really was just like a make sense. And if I if I don't know the internal conversations over there, but like, you know, I think Will was just kind of like, yeah, it makes sense. Like just, you know. Jeff is a friend of the band and 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 you know a competent bass player. And at that point, they had already had, uh, they had already booked that they needed to record with Kurt. So they were going to record the ten inch and a bunch of splits. And then they had already kind of booked the Chase by Bees tour, which was a tour with Jerome's Dream. Um, and again, I was envious because I never really done touring, just weekend warriors stuff. Like we go to Northampton and play, um, but yeah, once, uh, I was like, okay, I'm gonna do that, and I still found a way to finish my school, uh, my, my, you know, uh, at Boston University, but even that, like, the first tour, our, our breaks were off of each other, so I had to take a week off of my, uh, second semester, and, like, had to clear it with all my professors and one professor didn't let me take his class and i was all pissed off i apparently didn't <laughs> learn about independent cinema that semester um sure so i didn't get to watch more jim jarmusch movies that aren't oh just okay at best um but uh but yeah so once i joined orchid though i mean it was it was just kind of a whirlwind a little bit because like it really was just like okay i guess i joined orchid's I'm still going to graduate, so I just would book all of my classes uh, from Tuesday to Thursday and try my best to fit them all in. And then the minute my class would be done on Thursday, I'd get in my car and drive to Northampton and spend the weekend there like learning the songs, trying to help flesh them out a little bit more, uh, practicing, or if we had a show um and then all of a sudden i was like okay and we're recording we're doing this and then we're playing this and we're going on tour and i just kind of went with it um uh which is partly also how i would exist in music to some extent like things would just happen i'd be like okay we'll do that yeah Yeah, sure i'll do that that makes sense sure right that's that
0: seems like the logical next step so yeah I, i mean I'm guessing it it was really interesting during that time, too, where you had all of these bands that were, you know, able to tour, put up records and have, you know, for lack of a better term, a quote unquote fan base, because clearly that wasn't how bands were operating back then. I'm going to guess that, you know, Orchid in regards to the sustainability of the band, like there was no business implications that you guys were um, not saying that you were not considering futures of you know this is our release for our yeah. next tour all that sort of stuff but just the idea that there was uh, something down the road i'm going to presume that that was definitely not in your guys's vision and wheelhouse
1: not at all and that's why also is why when you kind of stop the ride and you're like mid to late 30s you're like whoa geez <laughs> like you know because it's all kind of connected into panthers as well but like no it wasn't i i i And I, in some ways, I almost was like, am I actually, at that time was I actually achieved a little bit more what is the mental space that I think a lot of us as we get older are trying desperately to get to through therapy and meditation of being present. And just like, this is what I'm doing. This is the journey, like all this stuff that can be commodified by kind of like, you know, self-help culture. Because I don't, I don't think any of us were really. Where no, it was just like yeah, we booked a tour. That's what you're going to do, and then okay, okay like a, the, oh, we're going to put out a record. Great, we should write the LP. Okay, <laughs> like we're going to go to Europe. Cool, like let's do that now. Uh, and you kind of instead just kind of facilitate, but like there wasn't certainly not an orchid. I mean, because also though like. It, Orchid is, in my mind, uh, just like most uh, kind of quote unquote popular bands is like most of the shows were are awesome and not great all at the same time. Like most of the shows were playing some kids living room in the middle of Idaho, you know, with yep. no one there. Like and and you get a lot of that now, which I get that is nostalgia, but also the kids who weren't there and I do the same thing with bands before my time where it's just like, man, that must've been a sick show. Like, can you imagine all those bands together? Like, and it's just like, yeah, we all were trying to vie for the floor of the least gross, crusty kid. Like, and <laughs> like, you know, try to get some Taco Bell like right. now. And then like, and there was, you know, and there was yeah. 15 people there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was 15 people and they were excited as fuck, but like, uh, it was like, you know, peppered in these kind of like big shows. And I do think like right towards the end, it's just like any band, though, that we would we would have those shows where it was like, it's a little silly. We're playing trying to play on the floor. Um, It just isn't viable anymore. Like when we played more than Music Fest, it both was like really fun that we were playing in basically this big auditorium and we had all the kids come up on stage to kind of replicate it, but also I remember being like, Can you get off my equipment? Like, I need to play my bass. Like, the song doesn't right. exist if you keep turning my distortion off. Like, um, yeah. And There's, yeah. there needs to be a separation here for. There does. Like-
0: technical purposes
1: yeah it's the jerkiest but is as i've gotten older where it's like you kind of especially in that world of kind of diy punk you do have that bit of like we're all the same like you the audience us and the band we're just all people and it's like true but also like i worked really hard on these songs (laughs) like and i'm the one who drove here for eight hours so Don't push me out of the way to get to Jay to sing along. Mostly because the song's going to fall apart if you knock over Selene's drum set. Uh, I I get <laughs> right. it. It's excitement, but you're not going to have a blast beat with no snare. It's very very true. <laughs> the 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 kind of moving
0: to uh, Panthers. I, that was such a interesting time and a place for mm-hmm. you guys to exist as a band because vice i mean especially for you personally clearly being a you know straight-edge adult mm-hmm. um maybe not at that time i mean i know you are still straight edge but at that time you were not an adult <laughs> yeah I, yeah
1: adult-ish hard I, to say. Say, I was adult-ish yes i'm not sure i necessarily became an adult till like two years ago so <laughs> <laughs> totally yeah yeah once well, once you have a a, ch- a child in your purview a little some bit adultness adult-ish. finally
0: yeah but, I mean, that that was such a, you know, Vice was the, like, purveyor of cool. It was like, oh, yeah, if you, you know, you do drugs and you play in cool bands and, like, you know, yeah, we got a record label. and We got all this, you know, all of these corporate interests. And right. then, you know, you, you guys were, you know, smack dab in the middle of it, plus, you know, many of the other, uh, you know, bands that existed. Was it... Uh, I mean, like you said, you kind of with Panthers, it was very much like, you know, one foot in front of the other and like, oh, I guess we'll do this, you know, really random, like, oh, yeah, we'll play this, you know, fashion show, whatever, (laughs) just like doing these random things. Did it feel like I I presume it felt very different than what Orchid was doing, but there was probably a lot of similarities as well that you were just kind of existing in this weird world?
1: Yeah, I like it. It was like similar and different. Like, I think we all... I wouldn't say we, all. I, I think most of us had like a bit of a shock when we kind of started Panthers. Cause like, I, I, I get it. Like I, in some way, like I find like recently was like looking back, I was like, oh yeah, going from Orca to Panthers is like Rev Records version one going into like version two, you know, where it's like, what the fuck is Farsight and Shades Apart have to do with, burn like you know what i mean like where it's just like oh there's it's like a different even quicksand from gorilla biscuits like at the time it was just so wild um and but like for us it just kind of felt natural it was like well we graduated college we're all moving to new york we're gonna live with kip from the red scare and we're gonna start a band and like kip kind of has these riffs he started with and you know when we first started you kind of do what you know which is play abc no rio um and i i don't i don't think it's revisionist but like in my mind it was like pretty quick that it wasn't even necessarily 100 percent our choice but it felt like oh you don't want us to be playing abc no rio like there's some of you might want it but like I just think, like, to me, and I could be wrong, it's my, again, my version of it, but it's like, Panthers did hit at an odd time of just a changing of the guard. It hit at an odd time of, like, even the, some of the fans, not all the fans, but some of the fans of Orchid were growing up as well, starting to broaden their horizons of music, and, like, were like upset we weren't sounding like orchid but i'm not convinced they really wanted another orchid records like they were moving on to whatever they were moving on to um and so i don't know it was it was just like again panthers is a big chunk of my therapy in life it was just figuring out because a band i'm super proud of but it was just so we spent six years and, and it felt like uh even though the Orchid shows were always like, uh, you know, a struggle, it just like made more sense logically in the world uh, that we were in at the time. And like Panthers always felt a little bit like one step forward, two steps back, mostly on our end. Like we would like and, you know, um, and I, I do think it, uh, it, it it was just like a shock, but it was also partly that I was like, well, there's this new world of music that's happening in Brooklyn and we're not recognizing it as a scene. Like it's weird that there are now these like oral histories about that time. And I, you know, I've said it before. I read that meet me in the bathroom oral history. And I was like, I don't think that's what was happening. Like, right. I was, I'm, I could be wrong. like cause at the same time, I always, as you're pointing out, I always was the straight edge vegetarian member of the band, Like I was always still the kind of the hardcore kid in my mind. Like, and so like I, 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 and I always was with my now wife too. Like, so none of that stuff I gave a fuck about. Um, I just wanted to play music. Like I didn't like hanging out with people. I didn't like that. We would play more shows that would become parties because I didn't want to go to a party anyways. Um, And so I don't know. It was just like we it was just years of weird growing pains um and even like the crowds kind of growing with us or against us. And then, you know, the thing with Vice is Vice was actually a, a kind of a great label. Uh it it's it's like one of those like it's like a freaking documentary where you got to be like you got to remember what it was like at the time. But like Vice was different than it is now and also didn't have the weight of freaking gavin mcginnis and like uh uh you know I, I i don't think it's revisionist that we like we had a discussion when we were like signing where we we're like we're very concerned with this guy we are a, you know we are a political band in a lot of ways we're not dealing with this asshole um yeah. and they are we're like we're we're working on it like he's out um even right. at that time um But, like, you know, I I think Vice, to me, was one of those things where I was like, yeah, they're a subsidiary of a major. And, yeah, they are uh, kind of these, like, tastemakers, which I always had a distaste for, to some extent, anyways. I would think half the magazine was funny and half of it was just, like, kind of bullshit what became Edgelords. Um, But... They were also kind of a better label and, like, more ethical, at least the label itself, than some of the punk labels we would deal with sometimes, (laughs) like, and had their shit together. And, like, Vice Records always felt separate uh, from the actual Vice itself. Like, I loved the people involved, like, the main people. Like, Pat Riley was one of the best people ever and Adam Shore and Jamie Farkas Um, because they seemed to actually care about music, which was refreshing Mm -hmm. at that time. I was like, oh. You, this is legitimate like you guys care about this stuff now right we uh we did which might also be a sign like it's not all my choice but it might have been like a sign of what most of my career would be where it's like even what we signed to with vice we delivered a completely different record than what they were expecting <laughs> like, <laughs> sure They wanted a hardcore band. They were like, we're signing like a hardcore punk band. Like they liked Are You Down a lot, even though people did not like Are You Down, um, the first Panthers records. People hated it. Uh, But they were like, oh, we're signing like this kind of like aggro punk band. Like, you know, and then we were like, great, we're going to write a double LP because we all rediscovered Pink Floyd's Live at Pompeii. Um and right. I really went down the prog train on my end and the Stoner Rock train and like so much proto metal. Um, but they still stuck with us like in there. Um, sure. Yeah.
0: yeah. There's yeah, there's a there's a lot mixed up
1: in that. But yeah, and we never delivered. We never delivered. I mean, they like supported and they like it was nice to like when we signed, like, you know, we had like all of a sudden, like for the first time in our lives, like, oh, they gave us like a nice budget and they helped us get some better equipment and Paid for our record or our our recording space or like our practice space. And then, you know, we sold the same amount of records we always sell. (laughs) Like nothing changed.
0: Like, yeah, we got this, we got this dialed in for you guys. You you know what you're getting.
1: (laughs) End of the day. Well, that was the thing. End of the day, it was just like, we're not going to be Death from Above 1979. Um, And we're not going to be Chromio or whatever the other bands were. We're not even going to be fucked up. Uh, And, we also were difficult. We also were, in my mind, we were like, we're having, we're trying to figure out ourselves. Like, I don't, I don't know. The weird part about being in a band is it really, it can, it can only really completely exist for like young, young people, but no one is mentally there when they're young to really be in a band. Um, So like, I think they wanted us to kind of try to get on like Warp Tour and we were like, no, we're not doing that. Like yeah, not we our still vibe. Have, like our yeah, not our vibe was like a big thing, but we also made sometimes. The, I think in retrospect, the like that's not our vibe, but we're not going to tell you what our other vibe actually is. <laughs> so right, we're we're not going to provide it. Yeah, we're not going to provide a solution for you. It's like
0: we know what we don't want to do. It's like, well, what right. do you want to do? I Which don't... is
1: the world? <laughs> that's most people also like. And like that's like it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. Is like when you kind of like. Especially coming out of hardcore and punk, when you live your life in opposition, eventually you have to decide, well, what is the thing that you are doing on the opposite end? Like, you can't just say, I hate this stuff. I'm not going to do it. And then be like, don't have an answer. Uh, And I'm not sure we came up with enough answers. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) No, for sure. Uh, two last things I want to hit on was the, you know, I mean the clear intersection between, you know, comedy and punk and hardcore is there, even though there's a wide swath of people who are involved in comedy, even, you know, sketch and independent comedy that don't have any affiliation with that, but just sure. these simple DIY nature of, Hey, go to a place that no one's giving you permission to do and just set a thing up and talk to people through a microphone. It's the same idea. Mm-hmm. Um, as you've kind of traveled through it and worked through, you know, a variety of different circumstances in the comedy world, do most people, I guess, like not have that uh, sort of general awareness or connective tissue to understand that it's like, these are virtually the same thing, you know, playing in bands and playing in, in or, you know, performing stand up comedy?
1: Yeah, I do think... I, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I don't think so exactly. Like, I mean, cause like, as you said, there are those kind of like Venn diagram overlaps where you're like, oh, Kyle Kinane is a punk. Like, you know, yep. Jonah Ray is a punk. Like they actually like in, in a punk in the way that I imagine. because that was also like, you know, I spent most of my, you know, main comedy career was at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. Um, You know, I, I was kind of doing stuff there for like you know 13 to 15 years like teaching sketch for like eight years there um and uh anytime people would be like i i would honestly like trying to not talk too much about being in bands uh because they would always imagine like oh you were in like huge bands like and they didn't really (laughs) understand the punk thing and like didn't help that like good friends like this guy Matt Rubano who is also in Taking Back Sunday all american rejects and like is currently in Angels and Airwaves was doing stuff at the same time and it would be like i would always be like talk to rubano like he's he's what you are thinking of like i was like in some squat in germany like it's just a different world um yep. but i do think to me the difference and it's and it's also again i think I don't know if it's to the detriment of my career or I just have to accept it is like uh, uh, partly with that, like kind of punk and hardcore drive of like I can kind of uh, create this world. I can do it myself. Um, I also have never been hugely career driven uh, in a way. And there's a lot of people who have a lot more hunger than I do. Uh, And even when I was younger. And I'd be like, oh, this is just a different vibe. Like you wouldn't get the punk world I'm coming from completely Um, because you want to be a star, like sort of thing. And I just want to create the things I want to create. And and so, yeah, there it, it there definitely is. But it's also like. You know, man, it's like anything like the word punk it's not in some way of like oh, punk is dead, but it's just been co-opted so much that like UCB would talk about how they were like the punk comedy theater. And I was like in the Fugazi of comedy. And I was just like, even then I was like, I don't feel like you really know what Fugazi's deal is <laughs> like. Like it's right. just I, I just, just cause it's five bucks doesn't, sh- that's not enough. Like that's not like, cause even in music, there's only one Fugazi. Like, you know, we all had this, grand ideal that none of us were ever going to be able to achieve Um, totally it's
0: like fitting I mean when people do it it happens almost in every single you know this sounds very business and cold like but just you know every entertainment vertical of like Mm -hmm. yeah you can't constantly compare to the complete unicorn that this band this movie this book was it's just like yeah so we want to be the Bible it's like there's only one Bible what are you doing
1: I mean, and that is the – it really is the battle of a creative where you're just like, okay, I'm going to constantly be either pitching or trying to make things that the person I'm trying to either sell or push or even just get to listen to is thinking like, yeah, like it's – it. here's the thing. Like I've said this many times before and it's a weird battle I have in my brain that my wife has pointed out where she's like – in comedy, a little bit more. I have uh, a little bit less than I have in punk, but she's like, you get really upset that you're like, I want to be funny to everyone. And it's like you compare yourself to these equivalents of Jimmy Page. And it's just like, there's only one Jimmy Page, you know, yep. like there's only one. There's only one Saturday Night Live. Like there shouldn't be more than any once. There probably shouldn't be Saturday Night Live sometimes. Um and it, and it, and it is like if you're like, yeah, we just want to make this indie, you know, web series that reaches the scope of Star Wars. And you're like, okay, well, I don't, none of that equals out. Uh, and it is, it was always the same in music too. Like it would be trying to find my way. It's, it's how I feel to be. I try my best to in music and in comedy to try to be as realistic as possible, um, uh, and to kind of set the kind of level at the, the bar at where it should be, because yeah, again, if we were all, uh, you know, trying to achieve Fugazi or like, to me, I always kind of go to that Steve Albini letter about why bands shouldn't sign to majors. And I was like, I don't right. know if any of this really applies to anyone, but you like, and <laughs> totally. in this very distinct, like subset of the character that is quote unquote, Steve Albini. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it it's confusing it's it because people want to keep things punk too but then want to reach for the stars um i don't know i i haven't found yeah. many answers in the world still as the world has gone on <laughs> no no it's a, it's a very good point uh and the, the you know you
0: looking at the you know creative output that you put out there from you know teaching at UCS, ucsb ucb <laughs> <laughs> same, same difference right yeah. um yeah, you, you teaching and then, you know, being able to do like children's graphic novels and, mm-hmm. you know, still continuing to play music, there obviously gets uh, at a point in a person's life where they, uh, they don't need to do that anymore, but there's this compulsion. And the fact that you've worked in so many different mediums, you know, and this may sound like a reductive or really simple question, but just like, why do you still feel, I guess, the need to put stuff out there that's just like, that's just who you are. And that's the, the constant quest.
1: Yeah. I think honestly, that is it. Like in, in in the loftiest terms, it is something me and my friend talk about on one of the podcasts I do, but it's like uh, in the loftiest terms, it's continuously trying to look for what is the kind of truth in the reality in the world and what is the truth in reality in art and what is the truth in reality in what my viewpoints are, um, especially with the fact that, you know, I think most viewpoints in the world have just been kind of uh, uh, blurred out into a world of black and white Um, uh, and uh, and, you know, social media doesn't help that all these, you know, I could write a bunch of think pieces that people would love about it. But um, and I think like I uh, combined with also like it's the realization of like I always loved in punk and metal the black and white. Aspects of it, um, uh, the fact that it's like us versus them. You can always count on me. Sick of it all, and it's just like who is us and who is them? That's not really true. Uh, it's like great for like this fantasy world, but it might as well be Mano War. Um, but I love that stuff. Like I, I think it's very fun to think in those terms. But I, I think through wanting, I don't know. I still just want to make sense of the world. Combined with, honestly. I don't want to work in an office as much as possible. <laughs> like, sure, I, that's really a drive. Like, it's like I want to. It's one of the hard parts of comedy that you start to realize, especially when you come from a punk world where you're kind of like, I, I, I get. I I have these viewpoints on capitalism and how the world kind of works. And I've worked very hard to not work quote unquote. And now I've set my life up to all of a sudden be trying to constantly get essentially temp jobs, which are writing gigs. Like, you know, it's like, it's like I'm working my butt off to get a 13 week job that will end unceremoniously. (laughs) Um, uh, and probably be in an office that looks exactly like any other office. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I I think it also. I'm saying this from a point of view where like I have always had a very supportive wife. Um, uh, I I can't fathom that she has been with me for 19 years and dealt with all of the variations that is apparently Jeff Garlock. Um, uh, but yeah, I just I can't. Here's the thing. I remember once having a conversation. Uh, I I played in this metal band for a while and still vaguely exists. Low estate. And uh, I think it was like we had a band before it called The Year Is One. And it was like me and the singer. And we both were like, (sighs) when that band broke up, we're like, I don't think we should play in a band anymore. And we're both like, yeah, I think we should probably focus on our like jobs and careers. Then there was a sigh from him. And he just goes, but I really love metal. I was like, (sighs) you're right. God damn it. And we both swore. And then start another band, and like that led to whatever those issues were it's just like the beast you can't escape it 's what I was talking about at the beginning it's like once I found quicksand, it was the hell that was opened up, but it's the hell that I love it's 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 uh you accept its warm embrace right <laughs> it, yes, exactly, like look we're all staring into the fucking deep maw of existentialism and doubt and you know the the meaningless of the world, so why not, if we can, try our best to create some awesome things still you know right <laughs> really oh, what absolutely. it hey, boils down to right right uh and the last
0: question i'll ask is when most people find out that you you know don't drink don't do drugs which is clearly not uh the norm uh mm-hmm. do people presume that you are a recovering alcoholic or super religious
1: <sighs> i or, or, or
0: yeah well or, as i was gonna say or alternatively do people you know uh ask for a history lesson on straight edge <laughs>
1: Yeah, no. Luckily not as much anymore. Like it's like if people honestly, I think it actually gets semi easier when you get older because all the people who kept drinking uh all of a sudden they're at our age and they're starting to have some issues with their bodies and they're like sure. I got to do I got to do sober February. And I'm just like, all right like Godspeed, man. Or, you know, like uh, alcoholism has caught up to them, whatever it is. Um, you know, I, I, I think, uh, yeah, it doesn't, it honestly doesn't come up as much And like, and if people, <laughs> I think I can, I've learned to be a lot less off-putting. Uh, uh, you know, my friend Nate once described, he's like, you're not an asshole. You just don't give the vibe you want to meet anyone new. Um, and, I can sometimes like it almost solves that problem. So like when my neighbor's like, "Oh, I got all these IPAs. I don't drink them." I was like, "I don't drink." And I don't know what he thought about. It. I just kind of moved on. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> but I'll also just drop this right here.
1: Right. But also because it is as you know, it's just one of those things where like I drank once when I was 16, like, you know, only because my best friend Eric wanted me to make sure that I didn't want to not drink when i became decide i was straight edge and i like i was like yeah this stinks i don't know i don't care enough about it and i have you know much alcoholism in my family and i uh so i i think uh honestly i think that i'm 43 whatever the fuck i am and i'm every day still wearing some sort of you know, metal or hardcore shirt is more off-putting that, that I don't drink. Um, <laughs> now that I, for the first time, don't live in a city and live in, like, a little bit more of a suburb because I live in Pasadena now, I'll, like, it's the first time in my life that I'm like, should I not wear my cannibal corpse Eaten back to life shirt? Like, yeah. how off-putting is it? Uh, You know, maybe I don't need another I hate God uh, long sleeve. Uh, right. <laughs>
0: Yeah, maybe in the yeah the the, pre- the preschool drop off line,
1: people are just like, "Hmm, that's interesting." Yeah, yeah. Uh, but also, it's all I've got, so I'm still waiting on that bolt thrower long sleeve that's supposed to be coming. So, uh, yeah, as every normal adult hardcore kid, is, I mean, truly, <laughs> I mean, it's just the it might as well become it, if it isn't a meme, it definitely is a meme, like. What old hardcore kid doesn't want a long sleeve bootleg bolt thrower shirt? That's all my Instagram is. I've, I've muted everyone because I love everyone, but also it all gives me FOMO. So most of my Instagram feed is just pictures of old hardcore bands and bootleg metal shirts absolutely I mean
0: that as far as I'm concerned that's really what social media is all about at this point that's all it should be
1: I mean it's all destroying us anyways and you know Um, yeah we
0: might as well yeah we we, we might as well bolster our uh, ridiculous banter collection you know exactly
1: look if I yeah if I'm gonna be fucking inundated with fucking the monstrous opinions of everyone around me that just gets furthered uh, by this giant capitalist monster that is just sucking at the teeth of our brains destroying it uh, I want to get a Roxy Music bootleg shirt now and then you know of course yeah because yeah. I mean Lord knows they did not make
0: them in appropriate sizes back then so it's mm-hmm. just like oh wait you, you're gonna do a you know either like a, a large or yeah it's just look
1: man crazy. I'm happy that I that all of a sudden there's some vintage market for these humongous extra large hardcore shirts that were like purple and I wear like a dress because they were so big. I mean, that's the hard part, too, of like our exact age is like, you know, and it's starting to come around again of like the retroness where I'm like, kids don't wear too many ringer tees. Um, but yeah, like, those don't sell well. Right No, But those <laughs> shirt like our all of our shirts. I had a large shirt because, again, I loved Al Jorgensen from Ministry. It somehow would get larger as time went on. I don't know. It was like the only shirt not shrinking. As I got larger myself, so I don't know. Uh, yeah, these, these there are there are
0: definitely mysteries within the context of uh, you know band T shirts and yeah. I mean, we fortunately we will always have Europe to dump yes. our you know in, old integrity merch that we're like,
1: oh, this doesn't fit very well anymore. Oh but, my god! Yeah. I mean, thank you to the again the the influx of uh, people liking tapes all of a sudden. Where I'm like, okay, I'll sell this random <laughs> Connecticut hardcore band to a guy in Japan. Who is legitimately collecting Connecticut hardcore from 1994 to 97. And I'm like, what God, (laughs) which is also, though, it filled my fucking heart because I was like in this world where like every news story about a young hardcore band is about how like they don't see differences. Like new metal is just the same as like hardcore. Like this is a guy who's like, no like scenes are specific scenes are what's important right scenes matter yeah he's the only guy in the world who's like i've heard of switch dance do you have a demo and i'm like i have one of them i can't get it to you
0: right right no that's incredible well jeff thanks for being a nerd and thanks for hanging out this has been fun it
1: was fantastic thank you man
0: That is that. Thank you very much, Jeff, for coming on the show. And if you are curious about the music that was played at the top of the show, that is his band called The Low Estate. And you can find that on Bandcamp or anywhere that you listen to music. So check that out. And next week, we, of course, have another stimulating guest, a person who is involved in independent music. His name is Dan Ozzy. He is a author. He's made all of the podcast rounds as of late, and I am, uh, you know, batting clean up, so to speak. But <laughs> Joking aside, Dan Ozzy wrote a great book called Sellout. I just got my copy in the mail. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to dig into it. I technically can't say it's great because I have not read it yet. But uh, Dan is a music journalist and a thoughtful dude when it comes to music. So I had to have him on the show. And it just uh, happened to coincide with the fact that he just released a book. So there we go. Dan Ozzy on the show next week. And until then, please be safe, everybody.